if I can. How many people here have ever backed a project on Kickstarter or another platform like Indiegogo? Well, we got a lot of people who've backed projects. Great. How many of you have ever run a project on nothing? No one? Okay, well, that's good. If you're thinking of doing it, then I hope that this gets you off and running. The emphasis is obviously on comics because it's a graphic novel symposium, but the tips that I'm going to cover here are going to be applicable to uh, every category that you could run a, a Kickstarter in. Uh, my emphasis is on Kickstarter. You can even tell by the color scheme, but this also applies to Indiegogo and some of the other platforms that we can talk about. All right, so um, first I'm going to tell you who I am and why you should pay attention to me. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what comics and crowdfunding do for each other. I know everyone gets scared when I put philosophy of crowdfunding, but I was a philosophy major in college and I feel strongly about this. That's right. Um, and, but we are going to talk about where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to give you my top five crowdfunding tips. And I'm going to use those philosophical underpinnings as a touchstone. So that's why I'm going to make sure that we're going to cover that. But that'll be quick. Then we'll talk about questions. And if there's some follow-up, I'll give you ways to contact me, OK? Uh, so first, who am I? Um, as Troy mentioned, I own Chimera's Comics. Uh, we have three locations in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, LaGrange, Oaklawn, and Woodridge. Um, We've been open about five years. Our youngest store is uh, about a year and a half old. Our oldest store is LaGrange. That opened uh, in 2011. I was 21 when we opened that store. And I was in my first year of law school at the University of Chicago, where I, I graduated in 2013. I am an attorney, uh, licensed in the state of Illinois. Um, but I obviously spend most of my time with entrepreneurship. Um, the law has helped because I've learned about small business law, and there's a lot of overlap uh, with what people do when they're trying to get into business, including comic books. Um, so uh, I've also written a book on Kickstarter. Uh, I have it here with me. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. So um, I ran a successful Kickstarter campaign exactly, almost exactly one year ago. And that was my introduction to crowdfunding. Um, I didn't know anything about it beforehand. I had never backed a Kickstarter project. And I had never run a Kickstarter project. But this, this comic that I did was sort of uh, my baby for a long time. Right? I wrote this in 2009. My partner is an artist, and we've been working on it since then. But we took a break, and he opened the comic book stores with me. He's my business partner there. So we took a nice long hiatus. And last July, I said, I want to finish this. And in that seven years I've been working on this comic book, Kickstarter came about. Kickstarter didn't exist when I came up with this idea. Uh, but by the time I turned to Kickstarter, it's made billions of dollars in, in funding, collectively. So I thought, if we did this, not only would we raise the money, but we would give ourselves a timeline and a public commitment, as well as raise awareness for our product. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when I get into the philosophy. But this is when I became addicted to crowdfunding. And I've spent the last year and a half making myself an expert. You know, podcasts, books, articles, everything I can get my hands on. And today, I'm going to try to condense that into the best tips I can give you. But this is why I know what I'm doing. I was successful. We were trying to raise $6,000. We hit almost eight. So I was overfunded by a third. The uh, average Kickstarter contribution is $25. I did triple. 75 was my average. And I can tell you a little bit about how to boost that average and raise your bottom line later. We're going to talk now a little bit about comics and crowdfunding. Um, Right here, I've got numbers for you as to how many projects uh, total have been run for comic books, 8,200, give or take. As you can see, the success rate's about 50%. It's about a, about a coin toss, right? 
uh, globally, the success rate is lower. It's like 36%. Comics is one of the most funded categories. Uh, board games is another one that's really well funded. And you'd think that the biggest successes would be in the tech category. And tech does raise the most money, for reasons I can explain if you want during questions. But games and comic books have a really niche audience. And that's what's great about Kickstarter, is it gives you a chance to engage that niche audience. And there are people who will browse for comics on Kickstarter, will browse for games on Kickstarter. Many times there are products that are only available that way. For some publishers, it's their business model. We make it, we crowdfund it. If it gets funded, we make the thing, and then that's the end of it. You can never get it again. Or it doesn't get funded, and we don't do it. These are the different categories. I'll leave it up for a second in case you're curious about the statistics. Uh, dance, most funded category. Um, not necessarily the most successful dollars, but 62% is pretty good. So if anyone wants to put on a dance competition or something, I like your chances. Uh, theater's not bad either. Theater does pretty good. And comics is right there at, uh, at number third for success rate. So I'm pretty proud of that, right? Because that means we've got a lot of good quality projects coming in. I didn't put this on here because it's depressing, but the truth is a huge percentage of projects don't raise a single dollar. That means you couldn't even get your mom to log in and give you a couple bucks, right? <laughs> so if you don't set that up before you started your campaign, you're, you're not going to be successful, right? So now I want to talk about the philosophy of crowdfunding, and there's three points that are, are really important that everything else I say is going to kind of come back to. Okay, The first is that it's not that new. It spreads the sense of ownership, and it makes your product an event. All right. As far as it not being new, sure, the technology to do this online is new. Right? Kickstarter really came about in 2012, you know, and uh, that's new. But crowdfunding's not. Crowdfunding is as old as passing around the hat at the church collection plate, you know, every Sunday. It's the same idea: is that there's a there's a community good with diffuse benefits, and we all contribute just a little bit, and then that's what brings the project to life. So we've been doing this since the dawn of man. Only now we can do it on a global scale. And if I have a product, I don't have to rely on my geography to reach the people interested in that product. There's 7.5 billion people in the world, right? If only a fraction of a fraction like what you're selling, then you could be successful. And now you can reach that fraction of a fraction. The next thing is it spreads a sense of ownership about the product. This is really important with comic books especially, because that's how you engage and activate your community. When you go to crowdfunding, you're saying to people, I'm, I can't make this without you. And that gets people invested in you, not just monetarily and not just in your product. They get invested in you personally and in your success. And when that campaign for my comic book was successful, it wasn't just my victory. It was the community's victory. 125 people made that happen. And Every single one of them was excited. A lot of them came to a party we had just to celebrate at the end, just to celebrate being successful. And uh, it felt good. I've had people tell me, you know, it was exciting meeting all these people I didn't know who all were interested in you and the stores and everything like that. The last thing is it makes your product into an event. There's products around us all the time. We are inundated with advertisements and all sorts of things trying to get our attention, promotions. But when you run a Kickstarter campaign or any crowdfunding campaign, there's a time limit. And that time limit is not an enemy, it's your friend. It's part of the secret sauce that makes the whole thing work. To quote a, a friend of mine who runs a, a comic podcast, that's him. 
uh, comics launch, it's called, and that's what he calls it, the secret sauce. That time limit creates a sense of urgency. So it's not, hey, I'm coming out with a comic book. Oh, okay, that's nice. I'm coming out with a graphic novel and I'm going to do it in 30 days, or I'm not, and it's up to you whether or not I succeed or fail. Right? So that gives people a reason. It gives them a reason to hear about it. It gives them a reason to engage with you in social media. So without further ado, uh, thanks for indulging my, my philosophical speech. Um, I'm going to give you my top five tips. Okay? And I could teach a course on this, and we could go into every little detail. I'm happy to answer your questions. But these are going to be your general overviews. Okay? You want to build your audience in advance, but we're going to talk about each one. You've got to make your campaign visual. You have to have a video. You have to budget carefully. And you have to put some skin in the game. All right, I'm going to explain what all these mean. Build your audience in advance. I've used as my example here the Steve Leichman uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, for those of you who are active in crowdfunding uh, comics specifically, this would have been a hard one to miss. With a goal of $18,000, this Steve Leichman campaign did $200,000, just under, in its, in its crowdfunding. And the reason is this creator is a webcomic creator who has been building his audience for years. A lot of people read his comic book. So when he went to crowdfunding, he already had an audience around him. And here's another way to think about it. Remember we said the average Kickstarter contribution was $25. So if you want to raise $10,000 on Kickstarter, how many people do you need to know to make that happen? Right, about 400. Do you know 400 people? Do you know 400 people who like comics? And then do you like 400 people who like your comic? Right? So if you don't have that kind of crowd going in, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that crowd in 30 days for the campaign. So the more you can build it up ahead of time, the better off you're going to be. Which brings me to uh, one of my favorite uh, um, slogans is, I don't gamble, I cheat. I only play with a stacked deck. And I want to know before I launch my campaign that it's going to be successful. The way to do that is to build that audience. Uh, I can answer some questions later if you like about audience building, but I won't go into that. Um, here's another one that I wanted to show you. Uh, Zachary Weiner is the creator of Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal. Anybody read Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal? It's one of my favorite web comics, right? If you haven't read it, you've probably seen a comic here or there shared on Facebook or something, because they're very clever and they're very timely. He's on Patreon. This is not Kickstarter. Patreon is a different form of crowdfunding. Uh, instead of it being project-based, it's creator-based. So people commit to giving this man money regularly because he regularly puts out web comics. This wasn't one comic. This is his three comics a week, every week for years. 3,300 people give him $6,500 a month for something he was giving away for free. But that's because for those 3,300 people who are giving, there's probably more like 33,000 people who are reading his comic book. right? But he had the crowd, and that's why he's able to pull that off. So now we're going to talk about making it visual. All right? I got a little off of comics on this one because this is a campaign that I consulted. They hired me two weeks into their campaign because it looked like they weren't going to make it. And they wanted me to kind of revitalize their campaign. Uh, in the end, we were successful. We raised $73,000 back in June for this campaign. So the tips I'm giving you, again, transcend comic books because this is a manufactured product. The yarn, it, it, just for purposes of uh, explanation, is a, a plastic shell for your ball of yarn. So if you travel while you knit, you know nothing would happen to it. For people who knit, 
it was a great invention, right? It was very exciting. So I'm going to step away from the um, PowerPoint for just a moment because I want to show you the uh, I want to show you what it looked like. I think I've got it up here on one of these web browsers. Yes, I do. Okay, so this is the Yarnit, and when I took over the campaign, their campaign was all text. It was it had some photos in it, but it was mostly just words. And so the first thing I did when I took over the campaign was I got rid of all the words and then I put them all in images. I made them all in Photoshop, branded with their font, their color scheme. I started off with stretch goals. I can explain that in the Q&A session, right? But then even as I get into these categories, I made sure each heading was big and had images. That we employed a lot of these images with the slogans that explain what the product was. I know it looks like there's still a lot of words. There were more before. It was, a, it was a novel, right? So what happened when I made it visual? Well, when I started on the campaign, their conversion rate was about 1%. That means of all the people who visited their campaign, about 1% actually gave them money. When I added all the images, that rate tripled to 3%. 3% is about average for a Kickstarter campaign. But to be able to drag that up from 1%, that was a real victory, and it worked. So that's why I encourage you when you make your campaign, the more visual it is, the better. Think of your own reading habits online. You like to skim articles. You like lists. If you see one that's just blocks and blocks of paragraphs, maybe you bookmark it for later. Maybe you get back to it. Maybe you don't get back to it. Maybe you don't get back to it in 30 days, right? And that's where you'd have a problem. So I'm going to go back now to my uh, lovely presentation. And we're going to move on to the next point, which is have a video. All right, I'm going to play this for you in just a second. Um, Kickstarter, like every other crowdfunding platform, basically allows you to employ a video. And your odds of being funded if you have a video, relative to not, are well over three quarters. Now you'll remember in comic books, your success rate generally was about 51%. And globally on Kickstarter was 36%. So if you can stack the deck in your favor by having a video and get your average up to 75% success rate, that's pretty good, right? That's a pretty good investment. Um, the other point I want to make about your video is it doesn't matter even the quality. The statistics show us that just having a video is what increases your odds, right? It doesn't hurt to have a good quality video because it says that this is the kind of work I'm going to put into the product you're backing. But you could do it on your webcam, and it's better to have one than not. The last thing I want to tell you about videos is make them short. All right, the video I'm about to show you is just a little long for my tastes. But I promise I try to trim it as best as I could. This is my video I'm going to show you. The reason I'm using mine as an example is I have a friend who owns a film production company who was nice enough to help me produce this video. So many year veterans of Kickstarter complimented me on the quality of this video. This is going to be one of the better Kickstarter videos uh, I'm very confident of that, and that's why I want to show it to you now. Now, when I transferred this over on my flash drive, that link didn't stay live. So I'm going to go ahead and bring us straight to Kickstarter, and I'm just going to show you the video on Kickstarter's page, okay? Here we go. There's hundreds of thousands of superhero comic books, but very rarely, I think, do the comic books deal with or focus on what it would really be like to have these powers, what the responsibility of that would really mean. This is one of the few stories I know of where 
we said, what would it be like to have superpowers and be a superhero in the real world? A lot of people say, well, what, is, what are powers like in the real world? This was the show Heroes, which I loved and was very influential. Or they'll say, what's it like to wear a costume and be a, a vigilante in the real world? That was kick-ass. Rarely do I see, no, I have superpowers and then I put on a cape like, like a kid would. There are consequences to that. Not everyone wants your help. Not everyone's excited to see your help. And for someone who's naive, that's very hard to understand. We have the opportunity to tell a really good story that is a coming-of-age story that uh, a lot of people, I think, can relate to uh, that doesn't get bogged down with all the hang-ups that you get with, like, the bigger companies. Magnificent is a story about a superhero who goes through all the same things in life we do. He has his heart broken. He learns about failure. He learns about perseverance. But through that allegory of the superhero, and growing up, it's just as painful for a superhero as it is for all of us. And he's being tortured and experimented on. When he learns what his true power is and that he's more powerful than he ever knew, he can escape now. But he's got to answer a question. Is he going to take out revenge? Is he going to become the villain? Is the cruelty of the world going to shape him into something ugly? I mean, the character quite literally comes to a crossroads of you can go down this way or you can go down this way. You'll end up at two wildly different places. And I think at the core of our story, that's what it comes down to. And it's more of the decisions that make you who you are than uh, anything life throws at you. It doesn't matter if you've got superpowers. You're not immune to heartbreak. It doesn't matter if you wear a cape and tights. We all fall down sometimes. And then we all have to learn to get back up again the next day. The superhero allegory is just a fun and cool way to tell the story of a child becoming a man. With Magnificent, as with the comic book store, we want to put out our very best. We don't want to half-ass this. We love this story, we care about this story, and we want to tell this story. If we want to put out something that can sit on the shelf next to any other graphic novel and be just as high quality as anything else. I want this book to look and be as awesome as all these other comics that come out through all these different companies. I'm not competing with the guy down the street in his basement who is just trying to draw comics. I want to compete with the guys who are doing the comics on a national level. I want to compete with the guys who are at the top of the industry. To do it as best as we can is going to require the support of the community. And I know because it's through the support of the Camaras Comics community that we've grown to three stores in just four years. I've seen what a community can do, and I know that if there are people out there who want to see this product happen, then with your help, we're going to be able to give you the best graphic novel we can. Thank you, thank you. I have, the credit goes to my friend. He's a very talented filmmaker. Um, Motion Source is the name of his studio in uh, LaGrange. And they do a lot of commercials for like Walgreens and bigger companies like that. So he really knows what he's doing. Well, let's see here. I don't know what I'm doing. There we go. All right. Um, moving on from the video, we're going to go to the boring stuff, the budget. So it's very important to budget carefully because, first of all, people are going to give you money. They want to know what you're going to do with it and they want to know that you know what you're doing with the money. So that's the first thing, right? It, it acts as a signaling mechanism to the backer to say that I've thought this through, okay? And I can make it happen. Uh, my number, my goal isn't arbitrary, okay? But the other reason you got to budget carefully is because if you are successful, you can still fail in the fulfillment stage if you didn't plan appropriately. Of the Kickstarter campaigns that are successfully funded, 9% fail in the fulfillment stage. They made their money, but they never deliver the reward. Maybe 9% is low, maybe it's high. It's hard to say, but that is telling everybody that, hey, there's basically one in 10 chance if you back my product, you're not gonna ever see it. Those are rough odds, I think, to overcome. 
And the budget helps not only show them that you are going to fulfill it, but it's going to help you actually make good on your promise, right? Some people don't account for things like shipping. Some people don't accurately account for the cost of the rewards that they're, that they're promising people. They promised the moon and they never did the math to make sure that they're actually making a profit when someone pledges an amount of money. Still others forget to account for Kickstarter's fee or the credit card processing fee or backer attrition and all these other things that come out of nowhere that you don't think about. The biggest failure and at the time the biggest success because of this, maybe some of you have heard it, the coolest cooler. Anyone actually back the coolest cooler here? Once in a while I see people who did. The coolest cooler was an invention that would have a cooler built in with a hot plate and a blender and a margarita mixer and a Bluetooth speakers, everything you could possibly need for an awesome day at the beach. It sounded great. And at the time, it was the highest funded campaign ever with $13 million. But they still haven't fulfilled it four years later. I think a handful of people have gotten their coolers. The backers are extra mad now because you can go on Amazon and buy yourself a coolest cooler and get it before the backers did. And that's because they were giving these coolers away for a pledge of about $125. They didn't do the math right. When you go on Amazon to buy it now, it's $400. That means every time they fulfill one of these Kickstarter pledges, they're losing. They're losing a lot of money, all because they didn't do their math in advance. You know, and this was a very serious campaign. They made a lot of money, right? So imagine you run your comic book and you make two, $3,000 on your Kickstarter, great success, and then you end up incurring $1,500 in shipping expenses that you didn't account for. Oh, it sounds like a lot of $1,500 for shipping. How could that be? Anyone ever been to the post office lately or FedEx? Man, international shipping especially just took a hike recently. And you will have international backers. I had people from seven countries back my project. People I didn't know, strangers, right? So it's going to happen, and you got to plan for it. Finally, I'm going to put some skin in the game. Um, my visual here is just because I wanted to give you something to look at. These are some pages from my graphic novel, the pencils, the inks in the middle, and then final colored version on the right. I wanted you to see the progression. The, what do I mean by put some skin in the game? What I mean is the more of your product is done before you launch your campaign, the better it's going to do. With comic books, it's really easy to imagine because people are going to want to see the comic book. What's it going to look like? You know, what's the art look like? If you can give them a sample, a part of the story to look at, that's helpful, right? Because they want to know. Um, if you were trying to pitch this to a publisher, you would have to send them about a five-page preview of what it's going to look like finished, right? You shouldn't hold yourself to a lower standard because you're on Kickstarter. If anything, you should hold yourself to a higher standard. The other reason you're doing yourself a favor by putting some skin in the game is by giving yourself a lot of content to share in social media, right? The message can't just be, I'm running a Kickstarter, give me money. The message has to be, hey, look at this new page, or hey, watch Steven draw. Or watch me, you know, ink. These are all things that I actually did film or take pictures of and share throughout my campaign, right? You've got to give people a reason to be paying attention to you. And the more content you have, the better off you're going to be. I want to credit, again, this phrase, put some skin in the game, I borrowed from uh, Tyler uh, James at Comics Launch. I don't know that he coined the phrase, but he definitely applied it to, to Kickstarter. So uh, the other reason this is important is because it tells the backers, I am serious about this project, and I'm invested in it too. I'm asking you to give me money, but I put some stuff into this too. I might have done it myself and put in just time. I might have hired an artist, but I'm definitely serious about this. Magnificent, I didn't have the book done when I did the campaign. It's still not done, 
right? We just finished the pencils. We've got four pages left of the inks, 10 pages left to be colored. With luck, it'll be out by the end of this year. It stinks. I wish I could have fulfilled it on time. Uh, but if I had had more of the book done before I launched, I probably would have raised a lot more money, to be honest with you. In fact, I think the reason I was successful was because I had that video. And that video was such high quality that it showed people, I know what I'm doing and I can make something good. Also the comic book stores, right? Saying, hey, I can make a business plan and execute and follow through. I made it. Even if you've never been to my store, there's plenty of the footage in the video. So that's the only reason I think I made it. I really would not advise you to have a Kickstarter campaign if you had as little done as I did when I started. So that was a big mistake that I made. I'll take some uh, time for questions now. Uh, if you guys don't ask questions, that's cool. I'll come up with something to talk about. Um, if you uh, do have questions, I'm going to give a copy of my book away. It's my favorite question. Um, and you can even get a copy for free if you don't want to enter my contest just now. Uh, sign up for my mailing list at my website, CarmeloCamara.com, or on Facebook, and you'll get a free digital copy emailed to you in EPUB format, uh, or PDF, actually. So yes, question. Wait, use the microphone. Hi. How, where does copyright fit into this all? Okay, that's an excellent question. Are you talking about copyright in terms of your product or? Okay, so all right, so that's a good question. Um, okay, sure. So for Magnificent, the way the copyright works, I actually, I did register the copyright. Some free legal advice from an author is you definitely want to register your copyright. And the reason is because it's hard to prove damages in the instance of, of infringement, right? I, if I rip off Spider-Man, Marvel's going to sue me and say, hey, Spider-Man has these amounts of sales, so our, our damages are the difference in the sales, right? But I've never sold a comic in my life. So if I go to a court and say, hey, these people stole Magnificent from me, the court's going to say, how much money did you lose? What do, we, what do you want us to give you to make you whole again? And you're going to say, I, I don't know. I've never sold a copy of my own comic book before. If you register, you get statutory damages. Right? That's going to be prescribed by law, so it doesn't matter what you've ever sold before. Um, I have a joint copyright with Stephen Brown, the co-creator, uh, on this book. So you have, fun fact about copyright, you have a copyright as soon as you put pen to paper. It's yours, and you have legal rights that are associated with that, even if it's on the back of a cocktail napkin. But if you actually want to enforce those rights, you're going to want to register. I think the filing fee is very low. You can do it online. You can have a lawyer do it. It's not very hard. So. Um, I definitely recommend that you copyright. Did that answer your question, or do you have more specifics about copyright? Well, just looking at other formats, because you have because you have such a presence on the internet, mm -hmm. when you're putting your images out there, or your you know your your video and etc. What if you want the the it to be seen? So can people paste those images in their oh, Facebook yeah. pages and this and that? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so did everyone hear the question about uh, making sure that your images are, you do want them to be kind of infringed upon, essentially, right? Well, when you sign up for Facebook or Twitter or any of those, you sign that giant licensing agreement that I know you all read very thoroughly before you clicked agree, right? Good, you got to be good clients for me, okay? You got to read all that. No, I'm kidding. Um, you should read it, but no one does, right? And in there, you agree that if you put something on there, you're giving people a license to share it, right? So when I put things on Facebook or I put things on Twitter, whether I've said it or not, I have now given them license to share it. So yeah, good question. Anyone else have any questions? Yes. Well, just one second. We're going to get you a microphone. So yeah. Without the mic, we can't hear you. 
I mean, I'll be able to hear you, but you know, I don't know if everybody can. Do you have to give like, uh, like I've seen a lot of people saying, if you donate this much, you get get this, or if you donate this much, you have to do this. What if you're not capable of doing that kind of campaign? Okay, so the, this question is about rewards, right? And the way it typically works in crowdfunding, we're there's two kinds of crowdfunding. There's reward-based crowdfunding and there's equity-based crowdfunding. And we're not going to talk about equity-based today. That's for maybe for your business classes. We're just talking about reward-based crowdfunding. And so, yeah, the way it would normally work is you give me $12 and I'll give you a paperback copy of Magnificent. That's what I did. And then if you gave me you know, $75, we would draw you into the comic book. If you gave me $110, we would have a custom sketch commissioned for you, and so forth, right? And this is why people give you money. If you're going to make a product on Kickstarter, your reward is the product you're making. So you are going to have some reward, right, which is the thing that you've made. And I encourage you to be creative about rewards, because you do have to have some rewards. But they don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be fancy, right? If you offer people a shirt, for instance, you can have shirts made very cheaply online, right? And if the image is cool enough, people will want it, regardless of the fact that it only cost you five bucks. And this is important, is you want to make sure that the reward has a value commensurate to the amount of money you're asking for. If I'm making a comic book and it's paperback, 20 bucks maybe feels right, you know, if it's long enough, right? If it's a 22-page single issue that, that retails for $4, I can't ask for 20 bucks for that reward. Um, you know, hardcover, maybe you can get a little more, 35 bucks, maybe 40 bucks even if it's long. Feels okay for hardcover. What about tech projects, right? If you want to back like Pebble was a smartwatch, you know, what did that cost? I don't know off the top of my head, but it was, it was closer to $100, maybe more. If you want the product, you'll be happy to pledge that amount of money. So you are going to have rewards, and you want to make sure those rewards are equal to the value they are to the customer. The trick is they have to be worth even less to you, though. You have to be able to produce the reward for less than you're asking and give the customer value they expect. T-shirts are a great example again. Five bucks to make a t-shirt to you. What would you spend for a t-shirt at Target? 20 bucks maybe if it's a nice shirt. So you can get 20 bucks for that reward. You make 15. Vistaprint. Vistaprint. V-I-S-T-A print.com. Vistaprint. That's just off the top of my head. You can Google it too. Um, I know a lot about resources like that too. If you guys want to ask where to get comics printed or things like that, so. Does anyone else we have another question? Great, great. The more questions you ask, the I'm less gonna, I have to I'm think. I'm just going to give you your own microphone. Uh, is there is there a minimal amount that you would ask for a Kickstarter fund? Hey, that's a great question. Are you talking about rewards or goal, or your total goal? Okay, I'll answer both questions because they're both good questions. But there's, then there's one more. The other thing was, do you talk at places like Comic-Con and stuff like that? I haven't spoken at a comic convention yet, but I would and I will. So I just haven't yet. Uh, as far as your first question, is there a minimum amount to ask for? No. Some campaigns have been very successful with a gimmick of asking only for a dollar. Now, not every crowdfunding platform is like this, but Kickstarter is all or nothing. You either meet your goal or you don't. And if you don't, we assume you can't make your product, so you don't get any money. If you do make your goal, you get the money. Now, if my goal is a dollar, I'm all but guaranteed funding, right? I'm guaranteed to get the money. So what I'm saying is, I'm going to make this product anyway, regardless of the money you give me. 
That makes sense in certain cases. It might make sense if you have a book that's print-on-demand, for instance. I did my book through Amazon CreateSpace. I printed on demand. It didn't cost me a cent up front, right? I just order the copies that I need. And when people order from Amazon, they print to order. So if my campaign only makes 10 bucks because I only sold two books, I'll order two books and that'll be the end of the day, right? You don't want to gamble on that though with that $1 goal if you really need, if you're making widgets and it costs 50 grand to tool the factory and you don't have 50 grand to tool that factory, you better make sure your goal is 50 grand, right, at least. Um, as far as rewards, I guess the effective minimum is a dollar. I wouldn't waste your time with a dollar. I would go to $3. Something that was used very effectively in the Obama presidential campaign was, hey, can you chip in three bucks? That doesn't sound like a lot, right? But then when you click on the link, there's a button right there. Just give us five bucks. And you're thinking, well, if I was going to give them three, I'd give them five. And it worked, right? Everyone who's willing to give three was also willing to give five. So your lowest tiers, I recommend three and five. So what I did, to, again, to stack the deck in my favor, $3 got you something nominal, like a desktop background image, right? Which I borrowed from the artwork from my comic book. So I didn't have to put any money into that. $5 got you a digital copy of the book. So it's like, wow, for two bucks more, I can actually get the comic? Almost nobody gave me $3. A lot of people gave me five for the, for the digital. What's next for Magnificent? Oh, yeah, OK. So what's next for Magnificent? Well, uh, after we're done with the, um, this campaign, we're going we're gonna to finish the book. We'll fulfill the rewards. Actually, um, we, since we were overfunded, we had stretch goals. And I can explain what that is if you're interested. But um, we hit a goal where we're just about, and I threw in the extra money to make it a hardcover. So I put in my own money to thank everybody in order to produce, instead of a paperback, a hardcover version of the book. So that'll be out hopefully by Christmas, fingers crossed. Once I'm done with it, it's still going to take eight weeks to get from the printer. We use a Chicago-based company, but they do the printing overseas, right? So it just takes that long to get it. Um, the next thing, I, I wrote a prequel to the comic book that's um, twice as long, and we, we plan to do much, much faster. I, in fact, I want to finish the whole thing before we crowdfund it, but I do want to crowdfund it, and I want to crowdfund the collection. I'm very excited about the prequel, maybe more so than the original, because it's going to deal with some real life issues, you know, some very sensitive stuff, right, but stuff that I think is important. What would happen to a superhero who's trying to stop domestic violence, you know, or, you know, all, all the shooting violence that we have now, right? What's that do to a, a young kid? What's that do to a 16-year-old who you know, just wanted to help people? That's kind of what I want to deal with in, in the prequel. So I really want to see that happen soon. Yeah. Other Any other questions? questions? Other questions? Do I, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, you know what? I love time travel. It is one of my favorite things to, to write about. Uh, I even thought about writing a book on the philosophy of time travel and storytelling. He was, he's never going to time travel. The Magnificent won't time travel as far as I know. I wrote another story in the same universe that maybe we'll get to after the prequel um, about two time travelers with superpowers who go through history and find out that all of our favorite historical characters had superpowers. You know, George Washington was <laughs> invincible, and you know, Jack the Ripper could turn into a shadow, and Charles Manson could hypnotize people. And I think it's lots of fun. Yeah, I think that one will be pretty cool. I'm excited about that. So. Yeah, I love time travel. Thanks for asking. Um, any other questions? How about a round of applause? Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I'm, uh, I have one last question. I'm sorry. I know we, were, we yeah, did it simultaneously. Okay. What right. other characters do I have in mind? Um, my, so the villain in Magnificent is my favorite character I've ever created. His name is Maxwell Edison. 
in part named after the Beatles song, in part named after Maxwell Street. Fun fact about my comic, everything's named after Chicago streets. The Magnificent is the Magnificent Mile, right? The uh, shadowy paramilitary organization is called Blackstone and Maxwell. You remember Maxwell Street, right? Maxwell Street Polish. And uh, he's my favorite character. For some reason, he became British when I was writing the dialogue. I, you know, it's, uh, uh, so he's great, and he's got uh, the ability to control electromagnetism. Uh, which usually villains can do one or the other, but in real life it's one force, right? A unified force. And the next character that I'm really excited about is in the prequel to Magnificent. His name is Algernon, and he's another kid with superpowers like the Magnificent. And it's, he's going to be a foil to the Magnificent. Whereas the Magnificent becomes a hero, Algernon kind of takes a different path. They both are good guys, but, you know, at the end they make different choices. So, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Do I know anything about novel publishing? Yes, I do. Short answer. Okay. What do you think about uh, self-publishing? I think self-publishing is great. I'm a huge fan of do-it-yourself. These days, we have all the technology we need to do it. What's a publisher do for you? Printing. They, they can pay for the printing. I can do print-on-demand. Next. They market it. I can buy pay-per-click advertising on Facebook and Google dirt cheap, find exactly my target audience, and do it for maybe a dollar or two or less, right, with a super high return on investment. So I don't need them to market it either. So if I can market it and I can pay to publish it, then I am a publisher, right? What's the difference anymore? So, yeah, it's a good question. I love that stuff. Thank you all very much for having me. I appreciate you coming. Thanks for all the good Thank questions. You. Um, you know what? Since I've got so many good questions from uh, both of you folks, you each get a copy of my book. Go ahead and pass this one back. Couldn't choose one.